This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Let's take our Bibles and go, please, this evening to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter number 39. Genesis chapter number 39. We're continuing our study of these Old Testament characters who in the days of their youth made very important decisions that would determine the course of their lives. And they heard the commandment of Moses when he said, uh, if the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse number 32 would keep the commandments of the Lord, that those commandments were given so that it would go well with them. And as we have discovered, God's plan for our lives is that it would go well with us. And Satan's plan for our lives is that it would go wrong with us. And uh, every good and perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, the Bible tells us. God has given us good and perfect gifts. And Satan, uh, in an effort to deceive us and to destroy us, counterfeits those gifts and presents us with a sinful alternative. And uh, as we've come to Genesis chapter number 39... Uh, this evening, we're introduced to Joseph. Now, we've already looked at the life of Moses, how that Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And because he made that choice not to be identified with the world, God was able to use him. God blessed him in a mighty way. And because of Moses' obedience, God used him to deliver a nation, millions of people from Egyptian bondage. Then we noticed uh, the book of Ruth and Ruth the Moabitess, and Ruth refused to turn back into the world. And because she was steadfastly minded to go and follow Naomi, and more importantly, follow God, uh, God blessed her in a mighty way. And not only did he give a girl who had no hope hope, he gave her a husband and he gave her a child, and that child was in the in the line of the forefathers of King David and of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful honor the Lord gave to a Moabite girl. And God wants to honor and bless your life if you will honor and bless him. God has a purpose and a plan for every life. And I want us to do all that we can to discover that purpose and obey the Lord. In Genesis chapter 39, we come to the life of Joseph. And we're familiar with Joseph because Joseph was the dreamer. His brothers called him the dreamer. You remember Joseph dreamed twice that uh, his parents and his brothers would one day reverence him. They would, they would one day submit to his leadership. And in his dreams, he dreamt that they would literally bow in reverence to him. Those dreams, of course, were fulfilled when he was second in command to Pharaoh. The Bible said that his brothers, not knowing who he was, and of course thinking perhaps he was dead or somewhere uh, as a slave, not knowing he was second in command, they came in need of food and they bowed before Joseph. And Joseph, the Bible says, remembered the dreams which he had dreamed of them. You see, God has a purpose and plan for our lives, and he had a wonderful purpose and a wonderful plan for the life of Joseph. In Genesis chapter 39, though, we find Joseph not uh, in school necessarily or not in leadership training, we might think, but he was in God's school and he was in God's leadership training as God was preparing him uh, for uh, the purpose that God had created him to fulfill. Genesis chapter 39 and verse number 1, and Joseph was brought down to Egypt. 
And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him, which had brought him down, uh, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. The Bible tells us that Joseph was sold, of course, into slavery by his brothers because they hated him. They envied him. They envied him because he was his father's favorite. They envied him because of the dreams that he dreamed. And they hated him because uh, he would tell his father, he brought up to his father their evil report. In other words, when they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing, uh, Jacob would ask Joseph to check on his brothers. And uh, when they sold him into slavery, rather before they sold him into slavery, when they threw him in the pit and plotted to murder him, he was on a mission for his father to check up on them. They weren't where they were supposed to be. They were in a different place. And so they conspired to kill him. They decided not to kill him, but yet to sell him into slavery. And so now here he is brought down into Egypt and sold to a man whose name is Potiphar, and what we know about Potiphar is that he is the captain of the guard. He is, he is an official uh, for the Pharaoh. And so the Bible tells us that the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a prosperous man. He was a blessed man. God's hand was upon his life. Even though he was a servant, though, even though his brothers hated him and he was sold into slavery, the Lord was with him and he was a prosperous man. Uh, the Bible tells us that he found grace in the eyes of Potiphar. Verse number 5, And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house over all that he had. So Joseph began as a servant, just a lowly servant in the house, but because of his attitude, because of his spirit, because of his work ethic, because of the respect he demonstrated uh, toward uh, Potiphar, he was elevated to a position of leadership as an overseer in the house. And overall, the Bible says in verse 5 that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. Uh, things were going quite well for Joseph. He was, uh, though he was in a, a dreadful circumstance, sold into slavery, we find out that he's being taken care of. God is with him, and he's doing well. He's doing very well. And it is evident uh, to Potiphar that the hand of God is blessing Joseph, and therefore it is evident to Joseph. Verse number 7, And it came to pass after these things, that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wadeth not. That means he, he, he's not aware. He's not concerned uh, what is with me in the house. He hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in his house than I. In other words, he has entrusted me with a great responsibility. He is not concerned about what I am doing because of his trust in me. He knows that I am going to do him well. Neither, the Bible says in verse number 9, hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Verse number 10, and it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in a Hebrew unto us to mock us. 
he came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. We know the story that she reports to her husband that uh, Joseph tried to force himself upon her. And, uh, of course, this was a lie. This was a false accusation. Joseph was totally innocent. And, of course, Joseph had nobody to back him up on that. And so he goes down into prison. He goes down into prison with all the dreams that God had placed in his heart. Here he is now in the prison. What a reward. You've done well. You've, you've been obedient to your father, and uh, you're a slave. And then you did well, and you were obedient to your master, and now you are in the prison. Don't you think that the devil talked to Joseph? And don't you think he sat down beside him and said, boy, this thing of serving God really doesn't pay, does it? And isn't the devil a master of deception? And isn't he a master of discouragement when he causes us to take our eyes off the Lord and put our eyes on our circumstances? Now, the devil had a plan just as God had a plan. God had a plan and a purpose for Joseph's life. But Satan had a plan. He wanted to thwart and overthrow God's plan. He wanted to derail Joseph. And let me tell you this, young people. Let me tell all of you this. God has a plan for your life. But just as God has a plan for your life, let me tell you, so too does the devil. And the devil's plan is to overthrow God's purpose for your life. The devil's plan is to derail your life, and he'll use any means that he can. And one of the means that he used against Joseph was the, the matter of sexual temptation. And here we find that when confronted with sexual temptation, Joseph resisted that temptation. You see, Joseph understood that God meant for it to go well with him. And if he would honor God and obey God, that even in spite of the circumstances, even though things didn't seem to be working out in Joseph's life, although they were working exactly as God ordained. And by the way, when you think everything's going wrong, let me tell you that God is in control of your life. And the thing that you think is going wrong, God is using for right. And we can trust him. And here's Joseph in this situation, now confronted with this temptation. And don't you think the devil said to him, hey, go ahead. Nobody will ever know. I mean, look at what serving the Lord has gotten you. I mean, your brothers hate you because you took a stand, and they sold you into slavery. And what about all these dreams that God has placed in your heart? It doesn't look as if they're coming to pass. So go ahead, Joseph. Help yourself. Help yourself. Enjoy your life. Do what you want to do. Isn't that the message of the world? Absolutely it is. And so Satan attempts to overthrow Joseph with sexual temptation. Now, let me tell you this. Had Joseph given in to that temptation, then Joseph most likely would have never been into the prison. He would most likely have never uh, been able to interpret the dream uh, for the servants of the Pharaoh and later for the Pharaoh and be elevated into a position of governmental authority where Joseph would be the very man that God would use to save the lives of millions in the midst of a famine. You see, one decision not only impacts us, one decision that you make not only impacts you, but I want you to know it impacts the lives of many, many people. And one bad decision that you and I make can hinder the purposes and plans that God has for our lives and cause us to miss the blessings that God has for us. And one of the tools that Satan uses is sexual temptation. Now, I want to give you three thoughts this evening about this. First of all, I want you to see the reality of sexual desire, the reality of it. It's not a subject that we're very uh, uh, comfortable, perhaps, discussing, especially in a setting like this. But nevertheless, it is one uh, that we all deal with the matter of sexual temptation. And that sexual temptation 
may be awakened in the days of our youth. Uh, That desire is awakened in the days of our youth. That's why Paul said to Timothy, flee youthful lusts. Spurgeon said, though those desires are awakened and inflamed in our youth, they are never extinguished. And And we all understand, if we've lived some days, that that is true. They're never extinguished. It is a battle that we deal with uh, on a daily basis, and may God help us. Now, here's what we need to understand about sexual desire. First of all, I want you to understand that it is a part of God's design for our lives. Sexual desire is a part of God's design for our lives. God created us in his image, and God ordained marriage. He created the institution of marriage. And he created us, man and woman, with a natural attraction for the opposite sex. God did not create anyone to have an attraction to a member of the same sex. God created us and designed marriage between a man and a woman. And God gave us a a, a desire for the opposite sex. Sexual intimacy is something God gave us to enjoy in the realm of marital relationships. It is the relationship where the husband and the wife are joined together in a physical, an emotional, and a spiritual bond. We need to understand that. The union that we have as husband and wife in the Lord Jesus Christ, the union that we have is not just physical, although it is physical, it is also emotional, and it is a spiritual bond. Go with me to Genesis chapter number 2. Genesis chapter number 2 and verse number 18. Here we find that God ordains marriage. God is the author of marriage, and God designed human sexuality. And God gave us a sexual desire. Verse number 18, and the Lord God said, uh, it, is, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Marriage and, and our relationship to our wives and to our husbands uh, is, de- is designed to meet a need in our lives, a need for fellowship, a need for communion. It is a need for a, an, an attachment that is not just physical, but as I said, emotional and spiritual. And so God, seeing the need, met the need. Verse 19, and out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every fowl of the air. He brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And so we find that Adam gave them names. And then we find in verse 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And so we find that God gave uh, the institution of marriage as a gift to man and to the woman, and this gift is designed uh, so that they can become one physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19 and verse number 5, he said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. You see, when two people come together physically, they are joined together in the sight of God as one flesh. They become one with another. Wherefore, they are no more twain. Here he says it again, verse 6, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. So we know that we live in an age of casual attitudes toward human sexuality. We know that we live in an age where any sexual behavior is celebrated, and it is, it is promoted in this world in which we live. And we can hardly believe, those of us who, 
have lived in different days gone by that we are seeing what we're seeing concerning the promotion of sexual promiscuity in our land. We can hardly believe that to be the case. But here we find that no matter what the world says, God takes this matter very seriously, and God designed it. And therefore, we need to understand what God designed it for so that we don't allow Satan to pervert it in our lives and to cause us to miss the blessings of God and all that the Lord would have for us. So go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 15, because Paul is addressing this with the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Now, Paul went to Corinth. It was a, it was a pagan, wicked culture, as pagan and as wicked as anything we see, minus all of the media to promote it. But it was a culture of idolatry. It was a culture of immorality and promiscuity. And he's dealing with Christians who lived in that culture, who grew up in that culture, and who all they ever knew before they became Christians was that culture. And so he's dealing with them in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, writing to them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. See it in verse 15. Know ye not that your bodies... He's dealing with them on the matter of their body. Now remember, God created us. And how did he create us? He created us in his image. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God, a triune being, created us as triune beings, body, soul, and spirit. God gave us his spirit. He saved our dark souls, and we have a body. And our, 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 our spirit and soul dwells within this body of flesh. Now, what we do with our body is important. Our body... The Bible says in verse 15, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of, say it with me, the members of who? Christ. My body is joined to Jesus. My body is literally a member of his body. And we had that theme a few years ago in our church. We are members of his body. We belong to him. We're joined together. We have a union as brothers and sisters in Christ. We are unified with Christ. And so Paul says, you need to understand, your bodies are the members of Christ. Notice the question he asks, verse 15, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? Now, in their form of idolatry, in the pagan temples were temple prostitutes. And part of their uh, wicked, immoral worship of these false gods was participating in these sexual relationships with these temple prostitutes. And he said, shall I then take members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? Notice what the next two words are in verse 15. God forbid. Verse 16, what? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? So here we see this principle again. Paul is expounding on it. He's saying, when you go up, and you're enticed, and you fall into that kind of immorality, you have joined yourself to a harlot, you have joined yourself to her, you become one body. For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. We read where that came from in Genesis and also in Matthew. Verse 17, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth without the body... Uh, but every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What is fornication? Fornication is sexual sin. It's sexual sin. It is, it is any type of sexual sin. And so he says we are to flee fornication. And notice what he says about the consequence of it. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. When you are involved in sexual sin, you are hurting, you are sinning against your own body. Verse 19, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? What is the temple? It is the dwelling place of God. And your body is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. 
Now, if you're saved, that means that spirit, the spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, now lives in you. He dwells in you. And therefore, your body is his temple. Uh, Notice what he says. He says, what? Know you not that your body, verse 19, is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. That's very important. I'd underline that if I were you. Ye are not your own. In other words, don't be one of these people who say, it's my body, I can do what I want to with it. It's not your body, it's his body. Twice over, it belongs to him. Number one, it belongs to him by creation. Number two, it belongs to him by the fact that he redeemed you from your sin. He bought you back from the slave market of sin. And so you're not your own, verse 20, for you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. So we see sexual intimacy was designed by God to be enjoyed by a man and a woman in the covenant relationship of marriage. It is a physical, emotional, and spiritual union. But sexual intimacy is also designed for the reproduction of the human race. And God designed marriage and the family in such a way that children would be able to enjoy the safety and the blessings of having two parents who love one another and who love them, who would bring them up to know God. The key word in all of this is the word love. That's the key word. The key word in a God-blessed, God-ordained sexual relationship is the word love. It is when a man loves God and a woman loves God. It is when a man and a woman who love God are brought together in a bond of love, in a covenant relationship, one with another, and they, in that context, are for one another, and therefore they can enjoy the gift of sexual intimacy that God gave them. That is a desire that he programmed them to have. And they can enjoy that relationship in that covenant called marriage. But Satan, in his attempt to derail us, Satan, in his effort to overthrow us and to deceive us and to ruin this wonderful gift that God gave us, he has another word. It's not the word love. It's the word lust. The word lust. That's the key word uh, of the day. That is the key word that characterizes what we see taking uh, taking. Uh, its course in our media and in our culture. And Satan, warring with sin against us in our members, corrupted God's plan of intimacy. The Bible says in James chapter 1 and verse 14, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. The word lust there means desire. All right, we all have desire. Joseph had desire. Potiphar's wife was not probably some unattractive woman with a bad personality and really bad breath who made it really easy for Joseph to say no. I'm sure that she was a very alluring, very attractive woman. I'm glad you guys got a kick out of that. At least I'm getting a response, right? A very attractive, a very alluring woman. And no doubt there is desire in that young man Joseph when he is tempted by this woman. And and this desire, the Bible says, we are tempted when we're drawn away of our own lust and enticed. And we understand the Bible says this, that lust leads us to sin, and sin leads to death. And so Satan uses desire. Now lust uh, characterizes a desire for the things that are outside of God's design. All right? Now, again, we're talking about the reality of sexual desire. We all understand that there is a desire within us to be in a relationship uh, with, an, with, a, with a person of the opposite sex. We understand that. That is a natural thing that God has programmed in us. But lust is how Satan works in us and sin warring in our members 
to lead us to desire that which is outside of the bounds that God has established. And so God has said, if you want to have a relationship with a woman or you want to have a relationship with a man as a woman, then here's what you do. <laughs> you come together uh, as one before me and you're joined together in the covenant of marriage. And in that relationship, then you can enjoy this gift. But Satan says, wait a minute, wait a minute. You've got this desire. It doesn't matter if you're married. Do what you want to do. And this is the message that he's been selling and peddling uh, to our world. And see, we find that lust then is the desire for the things outside of God's design, and lust is rooted in covetousness. We want something. And not only is it rooted in covetousness, but it's also rooted in idolatry. Because when we decide that what we want is more important than what God wants for us, what we have done is we have elevated ourselves above God. We've become a God to ourselves. And so because of idolatry, we have no problem participating in immorality. Now, I want you to notice something about this temptation. Notice in verse 10, Genesis chapter 39, verse 10. And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph, say the next three words with me, day by day. Day by day. Can I tell you that this battle is a daily battle? It is a daily battle that never goes away. It is a battle that can, can overtake you in just a moment when you least expect it. It is a daily battle. And if we're going to experience victory in this daily battle, then we must yield ourselves to God and not to our lusts. And so we need to understand the reality of sexual desire. It is normal, it is designed by God, but it is designed to be enjoyed in the covenant relationship of marriage between one man and one woman. Let me give you the second thing. Not only do we see the reality of sexual desire, but we see the results of sexual sin. The results of sexual sin. Now, we don't see those results we're thankful in the life of Joseph, and we praise the Lord for that. But all throughout the Scripture, we see the results of those who gave in to this temptation and committed sexual sin. Now, Joseph, he refused. She pressed on him day by day. And notice his answer. He said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now, I want you to think about what could have happened in the life of Joseph had he yielded to this temptation. First of all, he would have sinned against God. The Bible says in Psalm 51, verses 3 and 4, this 51st Psalm is the Psalm that David penned when confronted by the prophet uh, who confronted him over his adultery and his murder of Uriah the Hittite this great sin that perhaps he thought was covered. In Psalm 51, he prayed in verse 3, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. You see, Joseph recognized that he could not sin against God. Again, notice in chapter 39, verse 9, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph recognized primarily that sexual sin was a sin against God. And Joseph feared God. Joseph wanted to serve God with his life. And Joseph would not elevate himself above God to say, wait a minute, it's okay if I feel like it. It's okay as long as I think it's okay. No, he recognized that God had commanded that he refrain from sexual sin. Not only is it a sin against God, but as the Bible tells us, it is a sin against our own body. It is unique in that sense. He said, every sin that a man commits is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. You're sinning against God. You're sinning against your own body. You're sinning against your own 
soul. And so we see the ramifications of sexual sin can be very devastating upon the spirit, upon the soul, and upon the body. Do you know that sexual sin not only uh, is a sin against God and, and is a sin against our own bodies, but I want you to think about some ways in which it is a sin against us. And not only against us, but against the one that we commit the sin with. You see, and what most young people do not understand is that God has designed us in a very unique way to be bond together, joined together, to become one flesh. And when you decide that you're going to be joined together with multiple people, you have brought such a, a consequence upon your life, you really don't fully understand it. There's a book I would recommend to parents that they read. The book is a book called Unprotected. The author is Miriam Grossman. Uh, Miriam Grossman is a campus psychiatrist at the University of California in Los Angeles. And in her book, she details the students who would come to her and the difficulties they were having in their lives. She met with many of them as a, counsel as a counselor there on the college campus. And as she would meet with them, they had so many things going on, going for them in their lives, many of them athletes, many of them academic achievers, but they were depressed. They were suicidal. They were greatly discouraged. And as she began to counsel student after student after student, she discovered there was a link. It was because of their sexual promiscuity. It caused great emotional and psychological pain. Not only did it cause emotional and psychological pain, it caused physical disease. Do you know that in our age, there are more sexually transmitted diseases and the rate of sexually transmitted disease is higher than it's ever been in our nation? With all the education, with all the things that we're told, and yet today, there are more young people who have sexually transmitted disease than any other time? But friend, we have a crisis on our hands. Uh, a few years ago, we took uh, our daughter to the doctor. And the doctor insisted to my wife that my daughter have a, a, a virus shot, a preventative shot, uh, to keep her from developing the HPV virus. And that is a virus that is caused by sexual activity, is a sexually transmitted virus. It can lead uh, to cancer. And this is a virus that uh, the, the medical professionals of our day and the psychiatric professionals of our day are promoting our parents and our children to have. In fact, I've talked to a number of parents in our church who, who've, who've had their children exposed to that from their doctor. Not, not necessarily that they were given the virus, but that it was recommended to them that they receive the shot uh, to prevent them from, from getting this virus. And you see, this is an age that says basically this. They're going to do what they're going to do, and there's nothing we can do about it. In fact, we should not even try to hold them back. We should just let them do what they want to do, and we'll just try to develop psychiatric treatments to help them. We'll try to develop uh, physical treatments and uh, to help this uh, this spread of this disease or treat the symptoms of this disease, but nobody wants to be honest enough to answer the question of what's causing it all. It is the sin of sexual immorality. And the results of this sin, young people, are devastating. And we don't know it when we're 17 years old. We don't understand it when we're 15 years old. But the longer we live and the more we go, we understand it because we see it. And may God help us. And may God help parents. And I would encourage you to get that book. And I, I think it would help your young people to learn that God designed us in a certain way. And when we tinker with God's design, when we go outside of God's design, we're bringing things upon our lives 
that we don't even understand. It's like a child playing with matches. May God help us not to burn our own houses down. In this book, she says, in a study of 6,500, and this book is about 10 years old, so it's dated. She says, in a study of 6,500 adolescents, sexually active teenage girls were more than three times more likely to be depressed and nearly three times as likely to have had a suicide attempt than girls who were not sexually active. Now, can you tell me there's no consequence to immorality? Yes, there is a consequence. Another report titled, You Don't Bring Me Anything But Down, Adolescent Romance and Depression, analyzed data on 8,000 teens. The two researchers concluded that females experience a larger increase in depression than males in response to romantic involvement. Girls, God made you that way. Don't be pressured. You wait on God's choice for your life. We live in a world in a time where these girls are engaged by young men on social media and they're asked to, to do all kinds of things that they know is wrong. I want you to be honest with your parents. I want you to be honest with yourself. I want you to be honest with God. Don't yield to that temptation. Don't give in to it. God did not design you for that. And what you're playing with can destroy your life. It results in emotional pain, depression, guilt, rejection, suicide, and addiction. I don't have time to talk about all of it. We understand the results of it can be devastating. But the greatest result that would have happened in the life of Joseph, the most damaging, was it would have kept him from doing what God designed for him to do. Well, so many times over the course of my life, I've heard messages on this topic. It's always uncomfortable to deal with, and it's always powerfully convicting and heavy. But I'm thankful that where grace or where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And I'm thankful that God gave us the remedy the remedy for sexual temptation. And not only did he give us the remedy for sexual temptation, but I'm glad he gave me the remedy for sexual sin, aren't you? And maybe tonight you've messed up. I'm glad that God is a God of mercy and grace. And when Satan thinks he's overthrown the purposes of God, God says, wait a minute, you didn't think about it this way, did you, Satan? And God overcomes. And God can still use you no matter what has happened in your life. But I want you to see the remedy here for sexual temptation. Now, I want you to notice the Joseph plan. I want you to write this down, young people. The Joseph plan. The Joseph plan to escape sexual temptation. Four things. I may, yeah, four of them. Are you ready? Number one, refuse. They're all going to start with R. You know me. Refuse. Helps you to remember it better, doesn't it? Look in verse 8. But he did what, young people? He did what, young people? He did what, all people? He refused. Hey, when confronted with this sin... Make up your mind. Do what Ruth said. She said, I'm not going back. Do what Moses said. I'm not going to be identified with this world. Do what Joseph said. I'm not going to give in to that. He refused. He refused. Make up your mind and just say no. Don't even contemplate it. Because when you're faced with it, if you start contemplating it, if you start thinking about it, if you start reasoning in your mind why you should do it, then you will end up doing it. But if you make up your mind to say no, then you can refuse and escape it. He refused. Day by day, he refused. Here's the second thing. Remember. Number one, refuse. Number two, remember. Joseph, Mrs. Potiphar said, it's just you and me. 
Nobody will know. Potiphar's away. The servants are gone. The devil said, Joseph, this is your golden opportunity. This is the moment you've been waiting for. Go ahead, Joseph. You know you want to. You know you want to. Go ahead, Joseph. What serving God got you? Go ahead. And Joseph, when he heard those voices, said this in verse 9, There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he, that's Potiphar, kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Here's what he remembered. He remembered that God was watching. He remembered that God was watching. He remembered that God had a purpose and a plan for his life. He remembered that this was a sin that God said was out of bounds, beyond the limit, and he remembered the Lord. But not only did he remember the Lord, he remembered Potiphar. You know, Potiphar was good to Joseph. He really was. And Potiphar entrusted Joseph with a lot of responsibility. And he said, I can't sin against God, and I can't sin against Potiphar. Hey, young person, remember God when you're confronted with that, when that image pops up. Remember God when you get that message that says, hey, let's meet, let's do something we shouldn't do. Remember God. God is watching. God is there. Remember your parents. Remember those who've invested in your life, those who are praying for you. Refuse. Remember. Here's the third thing. Resist. Resist. And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. Resist. Hey, do you know how we can resist? You know, resistance training. Do you know what resistance training is? You can tell that I don't know a whole lot about it, can't you? It's when you, you're working against a force and you're exercising your muscles. Do you know what that does? That builds you up, doesn't it? And let me tell you, God will allow you to deal with some things to build you up. He'll allow you uh, to deal with some things to strengthen you. Now, you might say, I'm no match for it. Well, you're not. Hey, that is the recognition that we all need to understand. We're not a match for the devil, and we're not a match for this temptation. But let me tell you where we get our strength and our sustenance from the Word of God. And do you know what I would encourage you to do? I would encourage you to find verses in the Scripture. I would encourage you to memorize them. I'd encourage you to place them in your heart. I would encourage you to have them written on three-by-five cards, highlighted in your Bible. And any time you deal with such a thing, you just go ahead and start quoting those Scriptures in your mind. Let the Holy Spirit strengthen you. Learn to exercise Learn to resist this temptation. Don't let the horses run in your life. Resist. Let me give you the fourth thing in this plan. Now, I've given you three. Let's go through them again. Are you ready? Number one is what? Number two is? Number three is? Here's number four. Run. Run. Verse 12, and she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. Hey, he didn't stand around and try to talk to her and reason with her. He got out of there. She got a hold of him, and he fled. The Bible said that we're to flee fornication. The Bible said we're to flee youthful lusts. We are to run. We are to escape them. Notice the words of Solomon in Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 1. My son, attend unto my wisdom. Bow thine ear to my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion, that thy lips may keep knowledge. Verse 3, for the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps take hold on hell. Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of her life, her ways are movable, that thou canst know them. 
Hear me now, therefore, O ye children, and depart not from the words of my mouth. Remove thy way far from her, and come not nigh the door of her house. You want to know how to stay away from it? Come not nigh the door of her house. Hey, come not nigh the door of her house. Where's her door? Well, it could be on your phone, right? Where is her door? It's not far away. Don't come by it. Don't come nigh it. Run. Lest, he says, thou give thine honor unto others and thy years unto the cruel. Lest strangers be filled with thy wealth and thy labors be in the house of a stranger. And thou mourn at the lash when thy flesh and thy body are consumed. And say, how have I hated instruction? How my heart despised reproof. And have not obeyed the, obeyed the voice of my teachers. Nor inclined mine ear to them that instructed me. I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. Drink waters out of thine own cistern. And running waters out of thine own well. In other words, you find the wife, the husband that God has for you. And you keep your sexual relationship confined to that covenant of marriage. And God will bless your life. Joseph refused to give in to sexual temptation. The reality is that we all deal with it. The results of it can be devastating. But thank God there is a remedy. And if you have fallen into that sin, there's a remedy for that. The Bible said if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So I can confess that to God. I can have God make it right. I can have the cleansing work of God uh, in my life, and I can resolve to go on for God and honor him in this matter the rest of my days. And may God help us to do it. Now, I'm not calling you, young people, to make a commitment to sexual purity. I'm calling you to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. And day by day as you follow him, you'll keep a commitment to be sexually pure and say no to sexual sin. That it may go out. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.